I don't know about you, but I absolutely love Christmas. It's one of the things I look forward to every single year. And I don't know what it is for you um, that kind of makes Christmas, you know, feel like Christmas for you. I don't know um, if it's putting together your Christmas list um, or, or if it's going out and, um, you know, secretly buying presents or secretly arranging for Amazon to ship presents to you um, for everybody who's on your list. Maybe for you, uh, it's actually the decorations. You know, it's going out and it's putting the lights up on the house. It's putting the lights up in the front yard. Or maybe for you, it's, it's actually going and finding um, that perfect Christmas tree, right? the, the perfect Christmas tree, and then bringing that home um, and setting it up at home. There's so much, right? Isn't there? There's so much about Christmas that um, just brings so much emotion and, and so uh, many feelings so much anticipation and excitement into, into each one of our lives. But perhaps the, the most obvious question um, is really just simply the question of why. I mean, why? I mean, think about it. Why is it that right now, all over our world, literally billions and billions of people, they're gathered together to celebrate the birth of a Jewish carpenter. Right, who never traveled more than 30 miles from home, never wrote a book, never had any kids, never had a family. And yet somehow, this, this Jewish carpenter is, is literally, he is adored by people all over our world. I mean, it's absolutely astounding when you stop and think about it. Right now, I mean, in every time zone on the planet, people are gathered just like us in villages, in families, in churches, by the dozens, by the hundreds, in some cases even by the thousands who worship a baby who was born in the city of Bethlehem that we wouldn't even know about. We would never even heard of that city if he hadn't been born there. It's absolutely astounding. <laughs> Think about it this way. You've probably heard um, this name before, Caesar Augustus. Right? Caesar Augustus was actually the first emperor of Rome. He was the person who was responsible for transforming Rome from a republic into an empire. He was incredibly, incredibly famous all throughout the empire. In fact, the reason we have the month of August in our calendar is because of Caesar Augustus. But if, unless you're a, a historian or a history teacher, the truth is... Right? You probably could not name a single thing that Caesar Augustus did. And yet every, in every part of our world, in, in countless languages, in countless countries, every single Christmas, his name is mentioned. Not because of anything that he did, but simply because he has become a footnote in the story of the birth of a Jewish carpenter. And there really are, I mean, when you think about it, there really are just a, a couple of reasons to explain why you're here right now, why I'm here right now, why we're, you're watching right now. But the first is that what we celebrate happened, that it actually did in fact happen, that the, the eyewitnesses are just telling us the truth. The other option is that you actually can't trust anything that Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or the other eyewitnesses have to say, and so... And so then that means then something else must have happened. 
And you see, the reason why, why Christmas is, is in fact such a, a mystery is because actually what's not a mystery at all is how religions begin and how, how, how movements begin. In fact, the people who study these things, the historians who study this, they know there's kind of a, there's kind of a science to this. There's actually patterns um, that can be seen all over the world when it comes to this. Generally, what happens is there's, um, there's unrest in a city or there's unrest in a, in a nation, and so divisions start to develop, factions start to develop. And then typically what happens is a, a charismatic leader, usually a man, but not always, a, a charismatic leader appears. And this person begins to craft statements and ideas and, and, and thoughts in such a way that it resonates with people and people begin to say things like, oh, hey, that's how I feel. Or, you know, I, I, I kind of, that's the way I believe. That's what I think is going on. That's, um, that, that's, what, that's what I think is happening right now. And this person begins to, to usher in change. And, and generally there's an old guard that kind of resists the, the change, they hold on to the status quo, but eventually um, the, there's enough of a movement in the populace that the, the new ways of thinking begin to take hold and they begin to spread. And then eventually that person dies. And then the followers kind of gather around and they say, hey, hey, we need to keep this dream alive, right? And so the teaching gets passed from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. It's the story of our world. This happens all the time. This is how our world changes. This is how culture changes. It's the story of Islam in 632 AD. It's the story in more recent years in our own country of the, the birth of the civil rights movement. It's a which is a fascinating story. All of us, all of us should know that story. And see, each of those are stories that make sense. They, they make sense. They, they, they're understandable. But see, when you take those same patterns that we see that are repeated all throughout our world and culture after culture after culture, and you take those patterns and you try to, to transpose those on top of the story of the rise of, of Christianity, it just doesn't doesn't work. In fact, you may not know this, but um, did you know that no reputable historian anywhere in the world um, takes the, the changes of culture that happen over and over again and says, okay, that's the explanation for the rise of, of Christianity in our world? And so Christmas, it really is a, a mystery of history because, um, because, I mean, we know we're here. I mean, you're here right now. I'm here right now. We know we're here. And we know in our world, more than, more than a third of our world's population, more billions and billions of people literally worship and believe in Jesus. And, and we know it all got started with just a, a handful, just a couple of dozen followers of Jesus that somehow survived the, the first century. They somehow survived Judaism. They survived the, the Roman Empire. What happened is, is undeniable. It's undeniable because we know that ever since the first century, people gathered together to worship the, the birth of a savior, the birth of a king, the birth of God. And so I, I don't know how, how you'd explain it or if you've ever even tried to explain it. But here's what two of the people who were there, here's what Matthew and Luke say happened. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the, the king, 
came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, meaning the Old Testament law, because there were actually, there were actually rules about such a thing and about what he, Joseph was supposed to do if he discovered that his fiancée was pregnant from another man. But yet Joseph, he didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace, and so, um, so he had in mind that he was just going to divorce her quietly. He was, he was trying to be kind to her. But after Joseph had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, which is the English version of the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means the Lord saves, or Joshua, which means savior or warrior. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people. And see, this was the part that, that made absolutely no sense at all to Joseph. He will save his people from their sin. See, we're, we're so used to hearing this and talking about this, but to Joseph, this made no sense at all. Because the Jewish people, they already had a way to resolve their sin. They, they didn't need a way to resolve their sin. What they needed saving from was Rome. And so Joseph, had, didn't, this did not make any sense to him whatsoever. And see, it's at this point in the story that, that Luke chimes in. And Luke is a doctor. Luke is a medical doctor. And so actually Luke gives us a very, very detailed account of, of what took place that day. And, and Luke um, knows that what he's about to say is, is hard to believe. And so he makes sure to give us some very, very specific historical context so that he could be verified and referenced. It's as if Luke is saying to us, you can fact check me on all this if you want to. Luke says this, he says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, which actually did happen. And everyone had to go into their own town to register. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and to the line of David. He went there to register with Mary because she was pledged to be married to him and she was expecting a child. This was a four-day journey on the back of a donkey. By the time they got there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because the city was packed, and there was no room that was available for them. See, these are the kinds of details that, that nobody would make up. Because if you think about it, if you're writing this story long after these events happened and you're just making stuff up, right? You don't, you don't put the savior of the world, you don't put the king of the world into a horse trough. Luke tells us that there were shepherds who were living out in the fields nearby as all this was taking place. And they were... They were keeping watch over their flocks because it was nighttime. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were absolutely terrified. Of course they were. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. This is for all people of every generation. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is God's chosen king. He is God's final king. And he is the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts, they appeared with the angel, all of them praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Do you know what this means? Whether you believe this or not, it means that the God of Jesus, the God that Jesus tells us that we're supposed to think of as a perfect heavenly father, it means that God, he favors you. Whether or not he matters to you or not. See, this is why the angel said that the birth of Jesus is good news. This is why the followers of Jesus would continue to say that the entrance of Jesus into our world, the gospel of Jesus in our world, it is good news. When the angels had left and gone back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's see this thing that's happened, this thing the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was, just as the angel said, lying in the manger. When they had seen him, when they saw the baby Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And everyone who heard it, all of them, were absolutely amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They had no idea that so many years later, in so many countries all over our world, in so many different languages, all over our world, that we would all be gathered together telling their story, telling the story of the birth of a Jewish carpenter named Jesus. About five years after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, Um, A a Pharisee who was actually uh, um, born in Syria but raised in Jerusalem and who was known as as Saul of Tarsus. Um, Saul of Tarsus who actually, um, when he first found out about Jesus and heard about Jesus, he did everything in his power to try to get rid of anyone or anything that had anything to do with Jesus in our world. And so um, if you're here tonight or if you're watching tonight and you would just say, hey, you know, the, the church people thing, church people, right, are just, just not really my kind of people. That's why I don't go to church. Listen, if that's you, then, then, then Saul of Tarsus, he's your guy. Because, like, you don't like church people in your mind, right? He actually locked him up and put him in jail, right? Then he became one. Because he realized that the birth of Jesus and the message of Jesus, it really is good news 
for all people. So much so that he spent the rest of his life traveling the world, telling everyone he could possibly find about the message of Jesus. We know him as the Apostle Paul. And in a letter that he wrote to the followers of Jesus living in the city of Galatia, the Apostle Paul actually gives us his version of the Christmas story. But instead of telling us what happened, like Matthew and Luke do, the Apostle Paul tells us why it happened. And he gives us the big picture because he's now looking back. This is 40 years after Jesus' birth. And he's a Pharisee. And so he studied the Torah. He knows all the prophecies about the Messiah. He knows everything that God said about what he would do when he brought the Messiah into our world. And so he makes this incredibly personal because he knows what it was like before he realized who Jesus was. He knows what life felt like before he realized what it is that God had done for him. And so he writes these amazing words and he says, when the set time had fully come, in other words, he says that God actually marked his calendar so that everything, so that he had a date, a specific date in mind, that everything would be the way that he wanted it to be. Because 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus, God actually started preparing the world for the arrival of Jesus. And he started by making a promise to a man named Abraham. And he said to Abraham, he, he said, um, Abraham, to, through you and your family, I'm going to bless the whole world. But the world never got blessed by Abraham because it wasn't the right time. But Abraham had a son who had a son who had 12 sons that eventually became a nation, just like God said, but they were a nation of slaves living inside the, the nation of, of Egypt. And, and they, so they said, okay, wait a minute. We've always been told that, that we're going to bless the whole world, but we're nothing more than a bunch uh, of slaves. And so God sent Moses. And Moses was like a savior, because, because he saved the people of Israel um, from their slavery in, in Egypt. And more time went by. Eventually, a man named Jesse has a son named David. And David eventually became the, the second king of, of Israel. And David was also like a savior because he defeated all of, of Israel's enemies. And God even said to David that, David, through you and through your family, through your lineage, eventually one day the whole world is going to be blessed. And so David had a son named Solomon, who became the next king of Israel. And it was during the reign of King Solomon that Israel experienced its golden age. There was peace on every side. There was incredible wealth, incredible prosperity amongst all the people. If ever there was a time for the world to be blessed through a descendant of Abraham and a descendant of David, it was during the reign of King Solomon. But King Solomon came and, and King Solomon went and the world was not blessed through Solomon or through the nation of Israel because the time, it wasn't right. After Solomon, Israel's influence in the world, it began to, to fade and it seemed, it seemed to everyone that the, the promise of Abraham had been lost. In fact, people started thinking, okay, well, maybe it wasn't actually a promise at all. Maybe it was just a story. Maybe all of this was just a story that, that people tell to their children in order to give their children hope for their future. Because shortly after the death of Solomon, Israel was no longer in a position to influence anyone, much less bless the whole world. 
And yet the prophets would continue to say that one day, one day the promise is going to come true. One day God's promise to the nation of Israel is going to come true. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said to the nation of Israel, he told them, he said, God is going to make you a light for the Gentiles, a light not just for Jewish people, but for all people, so that his salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. But the time, it still wasn't right. Then the Babylonians came, the Persians came, the Assyrians came, the Greeks came. Eventually at this point, the, the, the whole civilized world is speaking the same language, the language of, of Greek. Ultimately, the, the Romans came. And then to add insult to injury, in 63 BC, the, the Romans sent the famous general Pompey into the city of, of Jerusalem. And, and Pompey, he conquered village after village, town after town, eventually conquering the, the city of Jerusalem itself. When he entered the city, the very first thing that he did is he rode his horse right up the southern steps of the temple, right onto the temple mount. He got off his horse and he stormed right into the side, the middle of the temple. Inside every temple in the ancient world, there was an inner room, a room where, where people would keep their idol, their representation of their God. And Pompey, he wanted to see this great Jewish God for himself, this God that these Jewish people had fought so valiantly to defend. And so he stormed right inside the temple. He pushed away the curtain from the Holy of Holies, and he went right inside the Holy of Holies and discovered that the whole room was empty. Because the Jewish people have no idol. They have no image to worship. And thus began the occupation, the Roman occupation, of once what was, but would never ever again be, the nation of Israel. And so it seemed that the, God's promise was partially true. Because the, the, the descendants of Abraham, they did in fact become a nation, but it stopped there because all the nations of the world would not be blessed through Abraham and there was certainly no way in the world that Israel would ever become a light to the world because no one is interested in a God who cannot even take care of his own people. And see, that is what makes the story of Christmas so remarkable. Because when things were as dark as they could possibly be, when God's promise to Abraham felt as far out of reach as it could possibly be, the Apostle Paul, looking back on all of this, he puts this whole story together and he says that when the set time had fully come, when there was a common language being exported all throughout our world, when there was a highway system unlike anything the world had ever seen, a port system that connected every major city in the civilized world, the peace of Rome, that it had established peace between nations and tribes that had been warring and fighting for generations, when at last there was a mechanism, when at last there was a way for God to actually get the undivided attention of the world, when at last there was a way to spread the news that would ultimately, ultimately bless every single nation and all the peoples in the world, when everything was the way that God wanted them to be, when everyone had lost hope, and no one was daring to even dream that God would fulfill his unbelievable promise to Abraham. 
when nobody was expecting it, God sent his son. And God sent his son into the world the same way that we came into the world. Remember, it's the Christmas story. Born of a woman. Born under the law. Which meant that Jesus was not above the law, that Jesus would experience life the same way that you and I, the way that we experience life, the suffering, the loss, the temptation, the chaos, the trials. That God sent his son into the world as one of us and to live as one of us in secret for 30 years until he finally would make himself known. And then the Apostle Paul, he, he writes this, this next line that's so personal for, for him and so personal for, for so many of us. In fact, it's this next part that for many of you used to be personal to you. But somehow lately life has distracted you. You've gotten busy. Faith has become just kind of inconvenient. It, things are just more complicated than they used to be. But see, the good news of Christmas is that these words, they're still true. They're still true for you. He sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem or to purchase back those who are under the law. That. And I think that this next part was probably so difficult for the Apostle Paul to write. Because the Apostle Paul had a very difficult, a very embarrassing, a very troubling past. I mean, the Apostle Paul, he, he had people arrested and tortured. I mean, he had women tortured. He had husbands and wives separated from one another. He had parents separated from their children. Some were tortured to death. Some he never even knew what happened to. And he was responsible. I mean, he was absolutely responsible. He, he, he was guilty of all of it. Yet he writes, to redeem those under the law that we, you, me, the Apostle Paul, that all of us, that, that we might receive adoption individually, each one of us, that we could receive adoption as children, that you could actually be a legal, literal, actual child of God. The angels were right. A Savior really was born. A Savior that would save us from our sin, our past. A Savior that would remove everything that could get in the way between us and our Heavenly Father.
Now, in between these two moments, the moment that Jesus is born and that Matthew and Luke tell us about, and this moment 40 years later, as the Apostle Paul is looking back on all of it and he's connecting all these dots for us, in between these two moments, there's actually, uh, there's a third moment right in the middle. It was the night when Jesus was arrested. And in this moment, Jesus gathered his closest followers. He gathered his friends together one last time. And they're all getting ready to celebrate the Passover. This was to celebrate um, the the freedom that God had given to Israel from the nation of Egypt. And so, of course, um, the disciples are thinking this would be so fitting. This is the time when Jesus is going to rally the troops. right? This is the time when Jesus says, hey, we're going to take our city back. We're going to take our nation back. Right? This is the time we're going we're gonna to throw off the slavery to Rome, just like we threw off, our ancestors threw off the slavery um, to, to Egypt. Because, see, the disciples, they still didn't realize that, that Jesus did not come to set them free from Rome. They didn't realize that this wasn't about Israel. This was about the whole world. And so they're celebrating the Passover meal, and Jesus has them all gathered together. And Jesus does the most unimaginable thing. And he looks into the eyes of his closest friends and he says, I I know that ever since you've been children, you've gathered together on this night to remember so many years ago what, what God did, freeing our nation from slavery in Egypt because that's what the Passover is all about. And Jesus said to them, he said, from now on, whenever you come together on this night to celebrate that moment, instead of celebrating that moment, from now on, I want you to celebrate me. And see, it's so hard for us to even think about how strange that moment felt. Imagine, imagine if I were to say to you tonight, I know that when we gather together uh, together every year as a church to celebrate Christmas, that we come to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But from now on, on Christmas Eve, every year to come, from now on, we're no longer going to celebrate Jesus' birthday. We're going to celebrate my birthday. From now on, Christmas is all about Joe's birthday. That's what Jesus did at Passover. And he said to his disciples, I know that you don't understand what I'm trying to explain to you, but tomorrow, when you wake up, I'm going to put on a demonstration of love that is going to take your breath away because it's going to take my breath away. And it's going to take your sin away. And after you speak to me three days from now, once I've risen from the dead, then you'll know what the angel said that day was true. That God really has done something in the world for the world. Because let's be honest. What can actually take away your sin, what can save you from your sin? I mean, you can't, you've tried. Alcohol can, for a while. 
there's definitely things that you can use to distract you. There's things that you can use to try to take your mind off things for a little while. But I mean, come on, really, what can actually save you from your sin? Once again, it's the Apostle Paul who, who, who chimes in at this point and he tells us, he says, Jesus, Jesus actually, Jesus forgave us all of our sin. To, to which it's like, okay, Paul, what do you even, like I've heard this my entire life. What does this even mean? I mean, what, is that, what, what does that actually mean? And Paul says, well, I'm glad you asked. I'll be very specific. He says this, he says, Jesus forgave us all our sin, having canceled having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. See, you see Paul would say, listen, the, the, reason, um, the, the reason why at times you, you feel like there's this weight on you, um, why at times you feel like there's this burden on you, why at times it feels like you can't, you can't like push through and you can't just, you, you can't just you know, get rid of, of this, this sense of dread that kind of overcomes you. The reason why you feel that way at times, Paul would say, is, is because there they're really, you really are in debt. They're, your past has really caused a debt. And not only are you in debt to you, but you're actually in debt to God. That not only do you owe yourself for not making those decisions or not doing what you, you were supposed to do, but you actually owe, you actually owe God, Paul would say. That's the root. That's the root of your shame. That's the root of your guilt. That's why, for me at least, maybe for you, I mean, some of the things in my past, um, they didn't just used to bother me, but they haunted me. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, take it from me, no matter what your past is like, the only thing that Jesus wants to cancel is your shame and your guilt. Because he canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness. He took it away, Paul says. Jesus has taken away your legal indebtedness, the indebtedness that stood against you, the indebtedness that had condemned you. Jesus actually took that away and he nailed it to the cross. And so if you were to say to the Apostle Paul, listen, what do you think? I mean, I know your story now, Paul. What do you think could actually save me from my sin? And see, Paul would say to you, listen, nothing that you're ever going to do. Nothing. But your Savior, Jesus. Because when he died, he canceled your indebtedness. Your indebtedness to God and your indebtedness to you. Because see, here, here's the good news of Christmas. You do not have to spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how to forgive yourself. Because listen, yourself has already been, yourself has already been forgiven. And see, there's only one person in history who, who has stood up in the pages of history and said, listen, it is not about a ritual. It's not about a, a system. It's not a way of thinking. It, it's not even your behavior or, or your attitude, Jesus would say. No, it's, it's me. It, it's me. I am, Jesus would say. I am the solution to your greatest problem. And see, for 2,000 years, 
that's why Christians have been doing this. That's why we adore. It's why we adore this baby from Bethlehem. And whenever we gather together to celebrate communion, we celebrate what he did. So why is it? Why is it that uh, a baby born in the most insignificant place on the planet to two otherwise completely insignificant people would end up being adored by billions? Here's why. For God so loved the world, and God so loved you in spite of you that he sent his son to be the savior of you. That's why we adore him. That's why tonight all over our, our world, billions and billions of people gather and they worship and they celebrate the birth of the king, the birth of the Messiah, the birth of our Lord a birth that's changed our world. Most of us are here right now because it's changed us. And my prayer tonight is that you allow this birth to change you. Let me pray for you tonight. Jesus, it is absolutely amazing how your arrival on our planet has changed everything. In fact, Jesus, the only thing that is more amazing is how your arrival in our lives, how that changes us. And Jesus, I know that for, for many of us tonight, as we think about uh, this story, perhaps in a way, the, the story of your birth and, and your your involvement in our lives, in our world. I know that for, for many of us, um, it's just something we haven't considered recently. We never realized what God had done to prepare us, but to prepare our world. And Jesus, we didn't realize what you had done for us personally. And so if you're here tonight or you're watching tonight and if, um, if you would say that you have, have never really recognized what Jesus has done for you individually or maybe you would say that um, you just kind of got busy, you haven't thought about your faith or your relationship with Jesus lately because it did get inconvenient, it did get pushed to the side. But tonight, you want to invite Jesus back. If either of those are you, I would just invite you to say these words after me, or you can, you can change my words and use your own. But simply that you would say this. Jesus, I believe that you are my Savior. And Jesus, I believe that you are the King who has come to save me from my sin. And Jesus, I ask in these next few minutes 
that you would hear me as I confess my sin personally to you. The good news of the gospel of Jesus is that his offer of adoption, that offer is for you. That he has offered and he continues to offer to redeem you, to purchase you back and to make you an actual, literal child of God. That your sin, it is truly forgiven. In Jesus' name. If tonight uh, was the first night that you've ever spoken to God or thought about Jesus in that way, or maybe if tonight was a, a, just a, a reminder for you of what Christmas is all about, and so you kind of renewed your faith tonight in Jesus, I would just ask if, um, if it would be okay if you would let me or one of our host team members know that after the service, we would love to just be able to pray for you in this coming year and and help you however we can as you discover what it means to follow Jesus. And tonight, as we prepare to end our time together, we're going to celebrate communion and we're going to close our time with worship by candlelight. And so as you are dismissed to come forward, our host team will dismiss you in just a moment. Uh, as you come forward, you can receive the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of, of Jesus. You can take that to the prayer rail and kneel and pray if you want, or if you would like to just take it back to your seat, um, you can have communion there. Or if you would prefer not to come forward, the members of our host team will have the elements and they can give them to you right there. It was on the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body. After supper, he took the cup of wine and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and he said, take and drink all of you. This cup is the new covenant. It's in my blood, which has been shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. So whenever you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And so take and eat the body, take and drink the blood of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, which has been given and shed for you.